Last two weeks, we have uh, been looking at this series on prayer, the way to pray. And two weeks ago, I'm sure you all remember, Ross uh, preached on uh, what if prayer is the work and ministry is the outcome. And then last week, uh, uh, Brendan led us uh, looking at uh, the first part of the Lord's Prayer on adoration. I'm not sure why I got the job of confession. Maybe it says something about me and my life, maybe. Well, we'll see what uh, comes out, what God's been challenging me with uh, for today. But I am going to start with a confession, okay? And uh, this is the only story I'm going to tell today involving my wife, because she doesn't like that. Uh, And she's a good guy in this, okay? So I just want to put it out there before I start. Uh, Jenny is the primary um, grocery shopper in our family, and, uh, and I do it from time to time. And then there's some special occasions when we do it together. And yesterday was one of those special occasions. We did it together. And as we arrived, we arrived early, and Jen said, well, I need to go get my coffee. So she went off to get a coffee, and I had some uh, scripts to go to the chemist before we went to Woolies, but the chemist was closed. So we went through and did our shopping together, enjoying each other's company, Jenny with her coffee and me pushing the trolley, uh, until we got round to the checkout. And you men understand this. Sometimes there are differences we have with our partners that often show themselves at those crucial times in our lives. And I'm the sort of... uh, Now, Jenny, I honestly confess, she does that part better than me. Um, And she has a procedure, you know, the the coals go... You know, the coal stuff goes first, and now there's certain things go to... Veggies together, yeah? Whatever comes out of the trolley goes through. And, and Jen, I think, was feeling, because we had a big trolley full, that we would go through one of the um, people on the uh, cash registers. Not me. There was an opening, because there was some vacant ones in the self-serve. And uh, so, graciously, I just said to Jen, will you go off and get that script now, because the chemist was closed earlier? And uh, she said, no, I'll stay and help. I said, no, honey, I think you better go. <laughs> she said, OK. So she went, and then she came back a couple minutes later and said, oh, they'll be 10 minutes. They're pretty busy. I'll help you. No, honey, I'm OK here. So I did it, and uh, we joined up at the end uh, very happy. But I did confess to her then, even though we both knew it, that nearly 40 years of marriage, and that's something that our differences still show, and again, I confess, right from the start, she does it better than me. Okay? I think if I'd hopped in the, one of the queues, I would have been through faster. Because I got to the very end, packing all of it, paid for everything, and there was one little bottle of something that Jen had picked up in the corner that I hadn't seen. So what do I do? And I didn't want to have to come confess today that I'd stolen something. <laughs> so I said to the young lady, she's come and swiped it, and I paid it. $1.80 or something, and we're on our way. Confession is something that is much usually deeper than that, of course. And I want to talk about confession today in the context of our sin, because our confession is often, so often connected with our sin. Sin is more than disobedience to God. It is our rebellion against God. In saying that, that's a pretty heavy comment to make, but it's true, isn't it? And I don't want this to be a a sermon that you go away feeling really bad and guilty and horrible. That's not what it's about. Because I believe confession is the doorway to being whole with God. If we might understand what confession means and repentance, then God's grace will be demonstrated within our lives. (laughs) 
And the whole idea of being um, uh, in rebellion or separate from God uh, upsets me when I think of that and how that impacts uh, my life every day when I'm not walking in union and relationship with God. So I was reminded, and I want to remind you, uh, that great verse that follows John 3.16, which is John 3.17, and we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, the, but to save the world through him. And I think oftentimes when, we, when we're in our sinful nature and we're doing something wrong and we are convicted by that, we often can be a bit overpowered with this condemnation. That wasn't God's purpose, so in sending Jesus, it was for our salvation. And I'd like to think that we might consider confession today as the process for our restoration with our Creator God. And I'm going to step into it by looking at Matthew, or just quoting from Matthew 6, which um, Brendan did last week. In verse 12, in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Just reading that, forgive us our debts. So I'm coming to God to ask for forgiveness of my debts, my sins, right now. On the basis that as we have also have forgiven our debtors, a past. I think it would be quite an insult for me towards God if I asked him to forgive me, to to, um, take away my debt if I haven't got the desire and the commitment and the willingness to forgive others. So what is confession? The word confess comes from the Greek word um, homologio. Homo meaning same, logio meaning to say. Literally confession is that uh, to say the same thing, that we come to God and say the same thing about sin that he says. Even that concept rattles my brain a bit, that, that here I am as a sinner in my human nature, holy God, that I'd want to come to him and to say the same thing about sin that he does. That does stretch me. The action of, of confession needs to be, in my opinion, intentional and responsible based on sincere conviction. It's not just a, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. It's something that stirs within my heart, in my life, and knowing that what I've done has been an offence against God. I like this, uh, this quote. Confession before God is not telling him something he doesn't already know. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? He knows it all. So why do we struggle with confession? I'll answer that in a minute. When, until I confess... The gap between me and God is great. When I confess, there's a bridge. God is never surprised to hear what I have to say. He wants to hear what we have to say. The first step towards releasing this wholeness is confession, is that I'm willing to seek uh, to see my sin through God's eyes. That I'll be vulnerable and broken before God. I'll take responsibility and own up to my sin. And the second step follows on. 
James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I started thinking then, why, why do we struggle to confess our sins? These are some thoughts I have. You might have others. Firstly, because Satan deceives me to believe that we don't need to confess. We've become desensitised to our sin. We rationalise it, we explain it away. Or because I'm embarrassed, embarrassed or ashamed to admit it. Or because it might hurt my reputation. What might other people think about me if they knew this or that about my life? Maybe because we know we've let God down. And I want to, uh, and I, and I, therefore I want to run away or ignore um, what God would want to do in my life. It may be that I have some ongoing deep desire to continue on in that same sin. The fact is, there are probably many reasons why we struggle to confess our sin. I'd like to think that God can help me and you to deal with those struggles. In our life group earlier this year, we, um, on Zoom, we did, uh, went through the book of Revelation. Part thereof anyway. And uh, in Revelation 3, uh, we read of uh, the church at Sardis. And this is what it said in verse 1. The Lord, he sees you have a reputation of being alive, but you are really dead. Pretty powerful words. This church at Sardis seemed to be producing all the goods and showing all the right signs and saying all the right things, but deep down, the Lord said they were dead. God knows who we really are. God knows us deep down. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with my son about 20 years ago, and uh, he was in his teenage years then, and uh, we were talking about church and about Christians, and he made a comment that uh, Christians are hypocrites. And my first response out of my mouth before I even thought about it, I said, I am. I'm a hypocrite. We had a discussion about that. Um, he had a different opinion than me, which is very nice of him, but I knew I was a hypocrite. And even as I come here today and as I preach and as I sit in my room and I counsel with people, I don't always do what I tell others they should do. I want to. I desperately want to. It's a bit like that, uh, the thought that Paul says in Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. And I keep doing it. And in verse 20, the following verse, it says, it's because the sin living in me. I'm so grateful that God knows who I really am. And it's interesting because in, um, in our passage we're going to be looking at shortly, and I, this is not the introduction, this is a major part of the sermon, so don't turn off yet. Um, we read that we're going to talk about King David. Um, and King David the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. Wow. I long for that, to be a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, and then in Acts 13, 
uh, 22, it says that. I started then to consider what are the characteristics of a man or a woman after God's own heart? And uh, I looked through the Psalms, and, and these are descriptive words, characteristics of King David. He was humble, he was reverent, he was respectful, he was trusting, he was loving, he was devoted, he was he recognition of God, he was faithful, he was obedient, he was repentant. And this could go on. Even this man who had who was known as a man after God's own heart did some evil things. No matter how good we think we are, in our sinful nature, we do evil things. But that's not the end of the story. Thank goodness it's not the end of the story. As we confess, as we come clean with God, our radical reliance on the grace of God within our lives, it's a deep-seated belief that what I'm doing is wrong and that God's grace is greater than my sin. And that's what I'm going to acknowledge. God's grace is greater than my sin. Max Licardo, we've probably most have read books by Max Licardo, even heard him speak. He said this Confession is a belief that God's grace is sufficient to not only forgive me, but to change me. Hear that? Not only to forgive me, but to change me. In 1 John 1 9, this great verse that we all know, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a fantastic biblical promise that God wants us to believe and to step out in faith to live. He wants us to embrace that. And I really do think there's a burden that is lifted when we tell the truth about our brokenness, primarily to God, because uh, as we'll read in Psalm 51, sin is always against God, but it also affects other people. Confession needs to lead us to repentance where grace can take over. And grace is when God abundantly gives to me what I definitely do not deserve. I'm overwhelmed by that concept. My life has been based on God's grace of giving things to me when I don't deserve it. Fantastic. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance. This godly sorrow, I believe this confession, this brokenness of heart, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. I love that, no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. I read a, a book by uh, Bob Buford probably about 15 years ago called Half Time. And uh, in that book, he talked quite a bit about having no regrets. And I think that's what he said he was going to put on his gravestone. I think he's still alive, but anyway, when he dies, he wants to have that no regrets. And I think that is such a, an amazing awareness to have that when we bring our repentance uh, that leads to salvation in our life towards God, when we confess our godly sorrow, there's no regrets. Repentance. Repentance, as we all know, means 
Turning from sin, turning away, change of heart, change of ways. True repentance, because I understand it differently, is that I choose not to want to continue to dishonour God or to hurt others in my life anymore. What are the consequences of sin? And this leads us into our passage just that we're going to just share for a short time on. Consequences of sin. As I read the scripture, as I reflect back on my own life, there are nearly always consequences to our sin. And I don't see that as God punishing me. I see it as God's justice disciplining me, guiding me, bringing about change of wholeness and restoration. And I think there's a great model in Psalm 51 that, uh, that David writes. <laughs> Let's set the scene. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, we read how in the spring, I don't know why, but everybody back in those days in the spring, they'd go and have a war. I guess it was the best weather. Didn't get sunburned, I don't know. Um, but uh, David decided he'd have a war. So off he sent his men under the um, leadership of Joab. And uh, good old King David decided he was a bit tired or something. He didn't want to stay at home, so he did. And uh, that was his first mistake. And then he was on his balcony up, on the, up in the palace and looking down. He had X number of wives, next number of concubines in his palace, but he saw this lady Bathsheba. And he wanted her, so he... A servant bring to his palace. He uh, had a sexual relationship with her. Um, sometime later, she reported back to him that she was pregnant. And then decided to call, wanted to cover it up, so he decided to call Uriah, the Hittite, her husband, back home. Uh, good warrior, well done, mate. Go and some time with your wife. But he wouldn't. He'd stay at the, um, at the palace gate to protect the king. So, as we know the story... Uh, David sent him back with an envelope sealed up to give to, to Joab to say, basically, put him back into the battle, the front line, and he will die. Have him die. Some 12 months later, baby has been born, and uh, Nathan, the prophet, oh, he's an amazing guy, this Nathan, isn't he? Hey? Fancy fronting up to the king to say, I'm going to tell you a story about two men. A rich man and a poor man. And the king's intrigued. And he says about the, the rich man had many, plenty of cattle and many sheep. He was a very wealthy man. And uh, there's a poor man who had one little ewe that had grown up in the family uh, since he was a little babe. A traveller came along. So the rich man took the ewe from the, um, the poor man, slayed it to make a meal. And David was... Horrified, He was so angry. What he said in verse 5 was, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You're the man. Wow. And the conversation continued on. Psalm 51 then occurred. Verse 1, Psalm 51. And I'm going to make just a couple of comments as we go through these verses. Have mercy on me. This is David crying out. Mercy is not given to me. Sorry, God is not giving to me in mercy what I 
do deserve as opposite to grace. David knew what he deserved. He knew what he had done and what he had tried to keep a secret for so long. God, according to your unfailing love, David also knew from personal experience about God's consistent, enduring, unconditional love. And we go on in verse 1. According to your great compassion, God totally understands our pain. Blot out my transgressions. Remove them so far that they no longer can be a burden in my life. Verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity, the gross injustices um, that I have committed. Cleanse me from my sin. David knew so well that God was a good and gracious God. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This was a heavy heart that he carried. Verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is an amazing statement. Sin, no matter what it is, is always, always, always against our holy God. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. You might recall the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house when um, his wife, uh, Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. And his response was, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 5, surely I was, uh, uh, was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Isn't that fantastic part of what, what David's saying here? That in this healing process, in this restoration, there's going to be joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is saying, change me from the inside out. Verse 11, cast, do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions. Sorry, then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. King David's now in a place that he wants to model and speak out of God's mercy. He wants to be an advocate for the message of salvation. And then finishing with verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. In Psalm 32, King David wrote these words as well. In 32, verses 3 and 4, David said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
But then in verses 30, uh, uh, 5 and 6 of that same psalm, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Confession. Having a chat with God and being real about the things he already knows about. And in that confession leads us to repentance. And in that repentance comes the process of God's grace at work within our lives. I, I, I'm going to quickly finish with a story. I, I was going to do then I wasn't going to, and I, I, I think I might now. And then I want to pray with you. Um, some of you will know this gentleman, even though I won't mention his name right now, but he's, he, about four years ago he started coming to the church here and I know that a number of you, as well as myself and my family, have got to know him and befriend him. A lonely sort of man. Anyway, uh, during our time of the friendship growing, um, I got more involved. He was involved with our Christmas, our family Christmas get-together and for his birthday, that Jen and myself would go out for taking out for a meal. And He was pretty estranged from his family. His mum had only died some uh, a year or so earlier than when I sort of really caught up with him. And... Um, and during this time, he had some difficulties and was in and out of hospital. And one, um, one particular time we were in the hospital, uh, he was having to give some information to the, uh, to the person taking the details, and he, uh, the question was asked next of kin. And he turned to me and he said, um, will you be that, Graham? I said, yes, I can be that, which we talked about a bit later on when we were away from that particular person. So this was our relationship. And um, COVID started this year, as we all very aware, and something happened over that period of time, the early part of this year, which I don't still know about, and I've been trying to find out. I, I'd visit him, I'd ring him, I would uh, text him, and he just didn't give me any response. I knew he was going to be moving to Brisbane, which he already has. Just a bit over a week ago, on the Friday week ago, um, I had a call from Brisbane, from a hospital there, to say that uh, this gentleman was in the hospital and he was, um, uh, had, had done some self-harm. And uh, they needed to let me know because I was next of kin. So I spoke to this particular uh, worker there who'd done the assessment and uh, I just said, uh, could I speak to him? And they said, well, he, no, he's in the other room right now. I said, well, um, do you, do you know any details? Does he have a phone still with him? Because I've been trying his phone and it's been dead. So I know, I know where he's staying. So the, the, the gentleman gave me his, uh, uh, that, that hotel where he's staying at. So the next day, last Saturday, a week ago, I, I rang. Just to have a talk and to apologise, to confess, to, to just to chat to him about uh, what had happened, what I'd done. And uh, so I rang. And uh, as I rang... They put it through to his room, no one answered. The lady came back on and just said, oh, he's just coming to the foyer now, I'll put him on. So, okay. And she didn't know who I was, I didn't say my name. So the gentleman answered the phone and I just said, um, g'day, I said his name. Uh, how are you going? And then he hung up on me. Jenny was out and I sat in the chair at home and I cried. And I thought, what have I done? And that's an okay place to start. I just start there. But then I decided I'd 
Say, hey, God, I don't know what to do here again. I give it to you. I was talking to Jen this morning, Jen Savile, and uh, it's just, I get over to God again. And I'm sure there's times in your life where you think, what have I done? And I think we've got to pursue that to a certain place. And I, and I guess my heart then says, God, if there's things in that situation or any other situation, how do I just get right with you and then get right with people? Right with church, right with family. And I pray that this morning, God can speak to you in whatever way he wants to speak to you, that you can get right with him and right with others. I'm going to pray a prayer and then we're going to be letting another song. You pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, gracious and merciful God, we humbly come before you now, always aware of your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Do whatever good work you need to do in our lives through your spirit right now. We pray for the model of David, that he was a man after your own heart, that you will have mercy upon us, that we will be able to confess to you the things that separate us from you, realising again that our sins, whatever they might be, are things that you need to hear us say. We want to be right with you and we want to be right with others. We thank you for the assurance that in our confession, in our repentance, your grace will overflow into our lives. We are so truly blessed to be uh, your children, to call you dad. And this is the prayer that we offer to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.